Hey friends and welcome to Cedar Mill Online. My name is Ashley and I'm the global and local outreach pastor here. Thank you so much for tuning in with us as we continue on with the third week of our Advent series called Our Coming King. And we're answering the question, why did Jesus come? During week one, we learned from our friend John Johnson that Jesus came to give abundant life. John unpacked John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But he came so that they may have life and have it abundantly. John Johnson left us with the question, how are we living into the abundant life that Jesus has given us right here, right now? I know that I was challenged by that question. I've been reflecting on it ever since. Last week, Reuben and Rachel preached on Jesus coming to embody and bring truth to a world that thinks there is no absolute truth and that all truth is relative, being defined by whatever the culture believes at that particular moment in time. They unpack the conversation between Pontius Pilate and Jesus in John 18, verses 37 and 38, when Jesus answered and said, I am the king. For this purpose, I was born. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of truth listens to my voice. And today I have the privilege of taking us through 1 John 3, 7, and 8 as we turn our eyes toward Jesus, the one who came to deliver us from sin and evil. 1 John 3, 7, and 8 says this, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And this is not an easy or nice text to stomach, right? But we know that all God's word, the nice passages and the not so nice passages are breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness, as it says in 2 Timothy 3.16. You know, as I was preparing for this Sunday, a random song came to mind. And this often happens to me when I'm dilly-dallying in the bathroom. Sometimes I like cheesy 80s music, which I like to play loudly in my apartment. And one of my all-time favorite songs came on, and it's from the movie Mad Max Beyond a Thunderdome, which is not a very good movie. Um, it's from the late 80s. I probably saw it when I was like five. I shouldn't have been watching it when I was five, but that's for another discussion. But I saw it when I was like five years old, and it's this post-apocalyptic tale. Anyway, one of the songs from that movie was called We Don't Need Another Hero and it's sung by Tina Turner. Tina's character in the movie desires to rebuild society back to its former glory. And in the song, We Don't Need Another Hero, she sings these words. Out of the ruins, out from the wreckage, we don't need another hero. Looking for something we can rely on. There's got to be something better 
out there, love and compassion. All else are castles built in the air. As I thought about this, I thought that I can really relate to these lyrics, especially now, today. We're at that point in our world, well, I take that back. We've been at a point in our world where we don't need just another hero. We don't need just another political leader. We don't need just another activist. What we need is the one true hero that was born over 2,000 years ago, the hero of all heroes, Jesus, our King, our Savior. Sadly, though, we, along with the culture of this world, have bypassed Jesus in search for another hero. This is one of the reasons why we live in a culture that is obsessed with superheroes. I'm actually obsessed with superheroes. I love a good Marvel movie. And stories of good and evil. We're also obsessed with that. Good and, good and evil, that story is from ages of old. We love a good ending where we see evil finally being defeated. And that's why those movies are the top grossing movies of all time. Actually, if you do a Google search, you'll find out that of the top grossing movies of all time, the top five, four out of the five, either have to do with superheroes or Jedis. May the force be with you. The story of good versus evil has been with us since the garden. When Satan came and tempted Adam and Eve, creating doubt and inciting, inciting them to sin. Since the fall, We've been looking for a deliverer, a savior, someone who could bring justice, heal our land, heal us, and put an end to the hold that sin can have in our lives. The Lord warns Cain and us in Genesis 4-7 about the power of sin. He says this, that sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. You must rule over it. The enemy of our souls desires to keep us stuck in sin because when we're stuck in sin, our relationships with one another and with God will continue to fracture. And God has created us for relationship. If you think about it, everything that we would label as a sin in this world, and this is not an exhaustive list by any means, adultery, drunkenness, gossiping, murder, jealousy, pride, greed, its goal at the end of the day, the goal of sin is to destroy all of our relationships. Sin is multifaceted and ever-present in our world, and if we choose to ignore it and not to call it out for what it is, it will continue to grow and manifest itself amongst us, in our individual lives as well as in the systems and structures that we create. We see that, e we see that even now in our own city and churches, systems and structures that perpetuate lying people lying hungry, unsheltered, and dying in the streets. Systems and structures that put financial gain over caring for people. Systems and structures that uphold prejudice, racism, sexism, and abuse. Sin is responsible for it all, and we've all been guilty of perpetuating one or more, if not all of these, 
things. When the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John and the three epistles, he was deeply concerned with how believers were responding to sin and one another, as well as their relationship with Jesus. He's writing the three epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, to the church as a loving brother and father, which is why he so often uses the title Little Children. All three epistles seek to promote intimacy with Jesus as well as with other believers. 1st John is outlined in five parts, the first one being fellowship with God by walking in the light, The second one, obey, remain, and love. The third one, spiritual maturity and the enemies of fellowship. The fourth, being a child of God and loving the children of God. And lastly, the spirit of truth and the love of God. Our scripture today comes from part four, being a child of God and loving the children of God. So let's read 1 John 3, 7 again, 3, 7 and 8 again. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of of the devil. 1 John 7 and 8. Some of you have maybe heard of the book by Malcolm Gladwell called Outliers. And in this book, he uses an illustration that anyone that considers themselves to be an expert or a professional in anything, whether it's an athlete or a CEO or a speaker or a musician, they have logged 10,000 hours of practice. And so most of us have logged 10,000 hours or more of sinning under our belts. I say that not to shame anyone, but to give us all perspective and level the playing field. As Jesus said in John 8, 7 to the Pharisees, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her, as the woman who was caught in adultery was brought before him. We are all sinners saved by grace. And it's important for us to remember that. John starts out in verse seven by saying, don't let anyone deceive you. He does this because there was a self-righteous nature residing in some of them that made them think that they were free to sin while at the same time claiming to be righteous. Of course, this is and was a false belief. And John, in correcting their thinking, goes on to say that if you practice righteousness, then you are righteous. When we practice something, we are essentially trying to become proficient in it or create a habit of it. So practicing righteousness would then give way to being righteous. And we have to be intentional about practicing good works. It just doesn't happen overnight. 
In verse 8, John tells us, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Here, John is confronting the people and reminding them that sin is from the devil. We may not like it, but that is true. It originated with him and is, in, and, and is his constant practice. And if we are making a practice out of sinning, meaning sinning without any regard to the effects it has on the people around us, our families, our friends, our society, or if we're sinning and feigning ignorance that it's not sin, if we make a practice out of intentionally sinning, we are of the devil too. Ouch. Ooh, that hurt me when I said it. If that stings, don't get mad at me. Take it up with Jesus. Those are the words in scripture. So here's the question. And I'm sure we're, we've all wondered this about others as well as ourselves. How can we who profess to believe do what is right one minute and sin the next? And here's the answer. God has given us free will. And each day that we're blessed to wake up and go out our doors and open our eyes and engage with the world, our neighbors, our friends, our families, our jobs, we will be confronted with choices. And in those moments, those seconds, we have the power by the Holy Spirit to let our actions be influenced by Jesus or by the devil. An example of this, and at first glance, this might seem like a harmless confrontation between Peter and Jesus in Matthew 16, 16. When Peter was confessing that Jesus was the Christ. And then in five or so verses later, Peter is rebuking Jesus when Jesus has said that he must go and die and be raised from the dead. And to that, Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. I often think about what it might feel like if one of my friends called me Satan. And I feel like that might have hurt Peter's feelings. But the reality of the situation was, is that Peter didn't necessarily know what he was saying. But Jesus was pointing it out. What you're saying is not of God. It is of the devil and do not speak that in my presence. Jesus went on to say to Peter, you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We all have fallen guilty of setting our mind on the things of man when we engage in sin. And sometimes when we realize, when we catch ourselves engaging in sin, we'd probably think that. We know that in our hearts if we actually think about what we're doing. Here's the point. The devil can't make us sin, but he can entice us to sin. So what will you choose? Will you choose sin 
Or will you choose to do what Peter tells us to do, ironically, after he has done this? You know, Peter was a flawed man, but he always came back to Jesus. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 14, Peter says this, and this is what we should do. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. You know, obedience to God leads us away from sin, but disobedience to God for obedience to the world leads us directly to sin. Pastor Tony Evans says this, So to whom will you listen? Will you be of the devil so that he gets credit for your deeds? Or will you live by the truth, come to the light, and do works for which God gets the credit? Turn to Christ who can render powerless the devil's works in your life. To avoid living a life that is not of God takes more than merely carrying your Bible and saying hallelujah. It requires doing what is right and loving one another in submission to the Holy Spirit. Having a relationship with Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus is no easy task. And it requires more of us than just going to church on Sunday or going to small group throughout the week. It requires us to sit at Jesus's feet and be obedient to how he's asking us to live our lives. It requires us to love God with all of our heart and to love our neighbor and to not do egregious acts against them. It requires us to stop sinning. A natural follow-up question would be, how do we live a life where we're not being conformed to the world and enslaved by sin? And I'm so glad you asked. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for a long time or new to the faith in Jesus or don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, because of Jesus, you no longer have to live in fear and dread of sin. God, through his son, has given and wants to give you, me, us, power, deliverance, and victory over sin and the shame, isolation, and aimlessness and anguish that often accompanies sin. So put our trust fully in Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us, made a way out of no way in his birth, sinless life, death, and resurrection, so that we could be delivered from the depths of sin and despair. Romans 6, 6 says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul goes on to say, So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. For those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, we must consider and we must live confidently that we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. 
as John mentioned, you know, he said we have abundant life in the here and now, and that abundant life includes the ability to resist sin and temptations from the evil one. Romans 6 goes on to say in verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. 14 says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. That's Romans 6, 11 through 14. It's by grace that we've been saved. And it's by grace that our sins have been forgiven. We've been given more than we deserve from Jesus. And praise God for that. In John 15, 5, we were reminded that Jesus is the vine. This is the power that we have. Listen closely. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is it that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. From this, we know that we are to be intimately connected with Jesus and that we've had the ability to be intimately connected with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for abide is mano. It's one of my favorite words. I even I have it tattooed on my wrist because it's something that I constantly need to be reminded of. The Greek word mano actually means to remain. And in our daily lives, in order to not fall to sin, we must remain and be intentional with being in Jesus Christ. We have to, as believers, and when you come to believe in Jesus, nurture your relationship with Jesus. You must spend time with him. You must be in prayer. You must acknowledge the Holy Spirit living in you. And lastly, how do we live a life where we're not being conformed to the world and enslaved by sin? I think other than those things that that I've listed in those passages, the next one is we can find it in 2 Chronicles 7.14, where God engages in a conversation with Solomon. And he says this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. The scripture speaks of acknowledgement, confession, and repentance of sin. These things must become daily practices for us. We can't ask God to deliver us from sin without, without recognizing that we are sinners in need of a savior because Jesus came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. We have everything to gain by putting our complete trust 
in Jesus. It is because of his great love for us that he desires that we live not sinning against one another or God, but loving him and loving one another with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul, experiencing true freedom and grace. Hear me when I say this, there is no hero like Jesus giver of abundant life, the embodiment of truth and the deliverer from sin and evil. He has come and he will come again to make everything right. So if you're looking for a hero, look no further. His name is Jesus. And you have everything to gain by putting your faith in him, the ultimate hero. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the hope and the love that we have and we see displayed in him and that we now have because of who he is, Father. I pray for all of my friends that may be watching that don't know you, Lord, that they would come to know you, that they would lay down whatever is stopping them from engaging in a life-giving relationship with you. I pray that peace would be upon them today. I pray that grace would be upon them today. I pray that they would sense your loving kindness and grace today. Lord, we thank you for who you are, that you have not left us stuck in sin, shame, and death, but you have come and you will come again. We ask that you be with us today and in the days ahead as we prepare to celebrate your birth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for joining us. 